Welcome to New Birth Christian Ministries. We are glad you are joining us today. Our services will begin shortly. Here at New Birth, our mission is to transform our families, our schools, our community, and our city by introducing everyone to Jesus Christ. Our prayer is that Christ will change their hearts and baptize them into His family by the Holy Spirit called New Birth. The New Birth experience will begin shortly. It starts off in John 1.1. It says, in the beginning. All through scripture, there are a number of in the beginnings. Uh, Proverbs 1 and 7 tells us that the fear of the Lord is the beginning of wisdom. Uh, Genesis 1.1 tells us that in the beginning. So the term in the beginning or beginning, it deals with the top or the head or the start of something. It indicates that unless this happens, then nothing happens. It means that unless this take place, Nothing can take place. It says that in the beginning means that it is the cause of something. Now, the reason I like to bring up Proverbs 1 and 7 is because I find that many times we are after the objects of God as opposed to the subject of God. We chase the objects of God as opposed to chasing the subject of God. That's why Proverbs 1 7 says, The fear of the Lord is the beginning. So when you look at Proverbs 1 7 in relation to Genesis 1 1, which states that in the beginning God created heaven and earth, I see the objects that God created was what? It was heaven and earth, the objects. But He is the subject, He is the focus. When he says, uh, let there be light and light came, light is the object, but God is the subject. He is the beginning that allows light to be. Then he says, let there be dry land to separate the waters. We see the object of what? Of land created by the subject of who? God. So all these objects came to be because the subject God was in the beginning. So why is this important? Well, we often find ourselves chasing objects without first reverencing, acknowledging, or fearing the subject. See, I find that sometimes I'm more concerned about getting the things of God without getting God. Because when I get Jesus, there are some things that cannot stay with me. When I really obtain Jesus... And understand who he is and what he means to my life. There are some spaces that Jesus and those things cannot coexist in. And I must learn to have a mindset that says in the beginning. I must learn to have a in the beginning mindset. I believe today that when we leave here, we should leave here with a in the beginning mindset that says above all things, before all things, before anything, in the beginning of it all, I need to get Jesus. Listen, I know we want the object of the blessing. Uh, we want the promotion. Amen. We thank God for the promotion. We want the financial success. Amen. We praise God for financial success. We want to be free from debt. 
We don't want to have no debt anymore. We want the healing. We want the health. We want the new car. We want the house. You need your bills paid. I want the objects. And I see that other people love to talk about the objects. We love to come and shout about the objects. We love to come and dance about the objects. We roll on the floor when we get the objects that I know these objects are under his control. But sometimes I focus so much on the objects that I neglect the subject, which is him. And many of us have been running through life collecting objects without first acknowledging the subject. And so therefore, we have a bunch of objects that we built up. We built up the career. We built up the house, the car, the marriage, all the fancy things, the bags, the shoes, the things that you want, the objects. We built up the objects. And when life really hits us, we cannot cope. We do not know how to deal because the objects will not save you. If you have the objects but do not have the subject, you are without you are poor the worst thing to be is to be rich in the world but poor in Jesus and so many times we start off the relationship wrong because in the beginning we focus on the things as opposed to the creator of those things we focus on getting the things but we never got the fear of the Lord and the reason you need the fear of the Lord is because the fear of the Lord is the beginning of wisdom. It's the beginning of knowledge. So if therefore the fear of the Lord is the beginning of wisdom, that means that the fearing of the Lord and the reverence of the Lord, the reverence of God, the acknowledging of who he is will keep me from making some dumb decisions. Because it means I'll have the wisdom and the knowledge to do something different. Okay, um, some of us won't like this, but, but the fearing of the Lord in the beginning may have helped me to not get stuck in a pointless relationship that I'm in now. Okay, don't look now. Don't clap now. <laughs> but, but if I would have had the fear of the Lord from the beginning, the wisdom would have caused me to see some things that would make me understand that this relationship is not of God. Um, if I would have had the fear of the Lord from the beginning, my debt-to-income ratio would look a little different. Because the things that I decided to buy, I decided to put on credit, the things that I decided to put myself in debt in, my wisdom would have stepped in and said, no, 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 you can't do that. Don't do that. Don't buy that. You can't afford that. You're living above your means. That There was something that would have happened that would have stopped me from making a decision that got me where I am now. If I would have started with the fear of the Lord, then I would understand that holiness is necessary and not an option. Therefore, as we follow Jesus, we are going to focus this week on learning more about the subject of him and not the objects that he brings. We're going to have a mindset that when we leave here, we're going to say in the beginning. That means that whenever I'm making a decision, I start with God. If I'm to truly follow him, I must acknowledge him at the beginning. Practical application. Before I make the life altering decision, in the beginning, I check with God. Before I consider the friendship in the beginning, I check with God. Before I take the job, I do not look at the pay and the benefits only, but instead I check with God. This may sound crazy to you, but, but, but Elder would testify to this. He always says it. Even before you get up in the morning, you got to check with God to figure out what you should wear. Because God will tell you to wear the red shirt, not the blue shirt. And you get out in public and you wore the red shirt and you find that there's a person looking to give the red shirt the blessing. 
Okay, it may sound crazy, but you got to learn to have an in-the-beginning type of mindset that in the beginning of your day, you check with God before you do anything. Think about it. Um, John 1 and 1 says, in the beginning was the Word, and the Word was with God, and the Word was God. In the beginning was the Word. So we're going to deal with a lot of beginnings today as we intertwine with each other and set our foundation. It says, in the beginning was the Word. Now think about this. It's John 1 1, and he's talking about in the beginning. So John is not saying that in the beginning as in the start of this chapter. He's not saying starting at John 1-1 was the word. But John, through the revelation of the Holy Spirit, is leaning and going all the way back and learning that in Genesis 1-1, the word was also there with God before the creation of heaven and earth. Which makes me understand that Jesus was not created, but he was in fact there before creation. And since he was there before anything was created, though he entered time eventually when he was born, he was still there before time. Which is why we can call him the only true and living God and the only way. Now we got this issue um, as believers sometimes because we feel like for us to say that Jesus is the only way, it means that it must mean that everybody else who does not choose that way is not getting in. But that's exactly what that means. No, no. And, and, and it's not that we are being bigots. It's not that we are trying to downplay other religions. It is the word of God. And if the word of God said it, then I have to believe it. But let's think about this from a historical, practical standpoint, just from history. Think about this. If we were to say that Muhammad was the way, which some people believe that, um, my response is how can someone who has a start be greater than the creator who has no start. History. Muhammad was born 570 in Mecca, Arabia, which is now Saudi Arabia. He died June 8th in the year 632 in Medina, but never resurrected. We know that he was born, died, never rose again. He has a start and a finish. Okay, um, Buddha. Buddha was born around 480 B.C. He died at 400 B.C. at 80 years old, never resurrected. He had a start and a finish. We know when he started and we know he finished. But Jesus was in the beginning. And though he died, he resurrected, ascended to the throne. He is eternal and everlasting. We see him in Genesis alive. We see him in Revelations alive. And so therefore, he must be the only way, the truth, and the life. Because he does not have a start and does not have a finish. History speaks to it. But since some of us say, well, that's just history. I'm glad you said that. Let's talk about how Jesus talks about himself. He himself said about himself. The word speaks about himself in the word. It's a revolving circle because he is the word and the word says this. So he's saying it, then he's living it. Let me tell you what the word says about himself. In John 8, 58, Jesus said unto them, verily, verily, I say unto you, before Abraham was, I am. 
am. Okay, those in that time, they were so enamored with Abraham. Uh, Father Abraham had many sons, and many sons had Father Abraham, correct? Now, one thing we know about Abraham, he was chosen in the beginning by God. He was chosen to be the father of many nations. But Jesus says, verily, verily, which means, y'all listen to me. This is very important. Verily, verily, I say unto you, before the great Abraham was, I am. It was me. I am him. I am the guy. I am the one you've been waiting for. Before the great prophet Abraham, it was me. Then in John 17, 5, the word keeps speaking about himself. He says, and now, O Father, glorify thou me with thy own self, with the glory which I had with thee before the world was. Jesus says, okay, the glory has always been mine, even before the world was, even before the world came to be, the glory was mine. So glorify me with the glory that I had with you, God, before the world was formed. When I give Jesus glory, I am giving him what all ways has been his since the very beginning of the world the glory has been his before you learn to sing a song the glory was his before you waved a hand the glory was his before you uttered a praise the glory belonged to him and when you come in here you're not doing him a favor you're not doing God a favor by showing up on church on Sunday you're giving him what is already his when you come in here and I come in here to teach and preach I'm not doing God some favor. I'm not some special being. I am giving God what he deserves, something that is already his. I don't care how good you sing, how good you dance, how good we preach, how good we usher, how good we greet. The glory is already his. Jesus keeps on talking about himself all through John. The word is talking about the word. He's telling you who he is. He testifies of himself. Um, he answered them. He said unto them, though I bear record of myself. Hold on. We can stop right there. He said, listen, I bear record of myself. He says, yet my record is true. Therefore, what I say about myself is true about myself. For I know where I came from and I know where I'm going. But you can't tell me where I came from or where I go. Jesus said, listen, when I talk, when I speak, I am the evidence. I don't care what your history books say. I can prove that too. I I don't care what the philosophers say I can prove that too but when I speak about me I am the evidence of me there is nothing higher than me that I can swear on so I gotta swear on myself that's what he says in the book he says I'm the end all be all test me by me trust me by me try me by me that's what he says in his word so if you want to talk about all these other people you got to get to the word and say what does the word say about himself he says i am the way the truth and the life no man will enter in heaven but through me he says in the beginning was the word in the beginning was the word and the word was with God and the word was God. So we know that Jesus was the word. And then it says the word was with God, which lets us know that Jesus is apart from God, yet still in unity with God. 
which further speaks to the unity and the working together of the Trinity since the beginning. Because it tells us that the spirit hovered over the waters. So we know that if the word was in the beginning with God in the beginning and the spirit hovered over the waters, it means that the father, the son and Holy Ghost were all in the beginning together. It shows us that through this text that Jesus is a separate personality from God as the second person of the Trinity, yet they are still one God. Because he always existed, which also makes him God. Now, what do we know about the word, the logos? It means something that is spoken. It means that he is the voice. Jesus as the word, the word became flesh. If you fast forward a little bit, we know that he was the word. He was there in the beginning. He was there from the start, which is why we believe and we know to be true that there's only one way to heaven, which is through him, the authority, the beginning. But then he says in John 1.14, he says, and the word was made flesh and dwelt among us. And we beheld his glory, the glory as of the only begotten of the father, full of joy, grace and truth, full of grace and truth. Now, listen, um, the very word that was in the beginning with God made everything with God that we know and we see also end up becoming flesh and walked among the people on the earth. So since the word became flesh, we are not only able to follow what he said, but guess what? We can follow what he did. Okay. One of the things that we can take away from the truth is that Jesus did not just say, he did not just logos, he did not speak one thing and do something that was contrary. Everything that we see that he said about himself in Old Testament scripture, he then enters in time and lives it. And I pray that I can follow Jesus in that I don't just talk about it, but I live it. When it says the word became flesh, this is an indication that you and I who read the word should apply it in our daily life so that the word that we see is becoming flesh, that we are living it out. Okay. This is the conundrum. This is the million dollar question. When it's all said and done, am I living on Monday what I proclaim on Sunday? Is the word becoming flesh? I mean, we look good in the sanctuary. We talk good in the sanctuary. We preach good in the sanctuary. We praise good in the sanctuary. But after we speak, after we preach, after we praise and sing on Sunday, what are we living like on Monday? It's not enough to proclaim the word all with our mouth, all on Sunday, but not walk the word with our feet on Monday. Okay. I can speak with all the unknown tongues on Sunday morning, but cuss you out with the same known tongues on Sunday evening. That makes me powerless. I can't talk about the love I have for my wife on Sunday, but belittle her on Monday. That makes me powerless. I can't praise and worship on Sunday, but sing about filth and lust on Monday. That makes me powerless. I can't hallelujah all in this house, but cuss like a sailor at my house that makes me powerless I can't just talk about it but I gotta live it that's what it means for the word to become flesh 
But even more, I must be willing to actually walk out the truth of God's word. He says, in the beginning was the word. Then we see the word became flesh. It dwelled, it walked, it lived. See, see, I may not be slipping deep in sin. But I may be someone who refuses to exercise my faith and walk the walk. See, I can be somebody who's not sinning all crazy. I mean, I talk good, but I don't understand how to walk good. What do I mean by that? It means I can't be yelling Philippians 4.13 on Sunday. I can't be saying I can do all things through Christ who strengthens me. But every time I am hit with some kind of attack or opposition, I start talking about how much I cannot do. Either you can do all things with Christ Jesus who strengthens you or you cannot do anything. You got to learn how to walk this thing out. The word became flesh. And we got to stand, believe, and walk out the word. You have to begin to look at the living word and remind yourself that it's meant to be alive in your situation. Anybody want the word to be alive in your situation? You don't want to just read it and talk about it, but you want to see the word become flesh in your situation? Um, all through college, I found myself loving to make the excuse that this is how I grew up. This is who I am. This is the kind of person that I am. This is what I learned growing up. All the, the stuff that I was into, all the things that I kept on falling back into, I kept on making the excuse. This is just what I've learned. This is just how I grew up. This is how I was raised. And the Lord began to show me, why do you feel like you can use it as an excuse? And one day he took me to a text, Romans 8 and 2, and he began to say to me, when you couple this with the word become flesh, I want to show you something about the excuse that you keep on giving. When you look at Romans 8, 2, it says, for the law of the spirit of life in Christ Jesus have made me free from the law of sin and death. Okay, when you begin to proclaim things like this in your life, what it means is that the influence of the Holy Spirit in which you are alive in in Christ Jesus should you now be under the influence of the Holy Spirit, you should be grabbed, captured, filled with the Holy Spirit. You should be under the influence of the Holy Spirit in that you live a way that has not caused you to sin. He said to me, what influence are you under? You understand what it's like to be under the influence of alcohol. You understand what it's like to be under the influence of the zaza and the weed. You understand what it's like to be under certain influences. But he says, what does it mean to be under the influence of the Holy Spirit what does it look like to be drunk in the spirit it is not us just rolling around and yelling and jumping around it is us living a life that is holy because you can jump and run all you want to but still not live holy what he said to me was that you have no excuse because you should be under the influence of the Holy Spirit and not under the influence of sin and death so therefore you have the power to stop sinning you have the power to stop sexing you have the power to stop lusting you have the power to stop lying you got the power to stop scamming but what influence are you under he says there's no longer an excuse because if you believe this word then now it's time for the word to become flesh and for you to walk it out therefore i cannot continue to make an excuse for my cycle of sin. Because according to the word, I should be under a different influence. Listen, 
If I believe the word of God, it is clear in the word of God, it is clear in the word of God that the influence of the Holy Spirit should keep me from being influenced by the world. This is what the text says. For the law of the spirit of life in Christ Jesus have made me free from the law of sin and death. I hate to inform you, but believers that look like the world might be under the wrong influence. Believers who celebrate sin, who co-sign evil, who prefer to live a lukewarm life may want to check their influence. Either I believe the word of God or I don't. I can no longer talk it, but now I got to live it. Um, as I studied this, I had to ask myself the question, is it possible to believe in Jesus yet not believe or walk fully in his word. Um, growing up, I had the privilege to learn about a lot of other religions. Um, we would go to the mosque sometimes on Saturday with the Nation of Islam. <laughs> then I would go to church on Sunday. And one thing people would always fix their mouth and say is, well, how do we know the Bible that was written by men, how do we know it to be fully true? And people would say, well, that's a good question. And I'd say to them, that's a horrible question because we know it to be true because we believe Jesus. Now, what do I mean by that? As the living word, he is the highest authority on truth. Any other book that you read, if I gave you a math book, you literally could solve every single equation in the book. Well, maybe not you, but someone can figure it out. It's possible because mathematics created by humans can be conquered by humans. But when you think about the divine word of God, what makes it divine is that it is often beyond my comprehension in that I fully can't understand it, but he still gives me revelation to get what I need to understand. And so I have to look at his word as the litmus test for the truth. I cannot look at an outside source to prove the Bible. When the Bible is the source that proves the Bible. Okay. So I go in the word and I say, okay, Lord, how do I know that everything in this book that is written, even though you influence men's hands to pin it, how do I know that all of it is written and that it's true and that it's good for me? He said, you can't go to any outside source. You got to go to the source. So he took me to 2 Timothy 3.16. And I'm hoping this is helping somebody today with your faith, what you believe. Um, the text simply says, all Scripture is God-breathed and is useful for teaching, rebuking, correcting, and training in righteousness. Okay, let's unpack this real quick. If Jesus is the Word, and the Word was with God in the beginning, 
and the word became flesh and walked among us, we have concluded that the word as described in John is Jesus, correct? And if the Bible is God breathed, meaning that it is alive, that means that it is the word. It means that in order for me to believe in Jesus, I must believe in the word. I cannot believe in Jesus without believing every single word. And if I believe that John 1 and 1 is true, I have to believe that 2 Timothy 3.16 is true. And it says that all scripture is God-breathed. And so since all scripture is God-breathed, there is no error in this Bible. There is no mess up in this word. There is something that I may be chasing that I will not be able to find outside of the scriptures. In other words, I cannot follow him, but yet refuse to do and act on what the word of God says either you believe it from start to finish or you can't believe any of it and since it's God breathe alive living there's no room for dead believers in the faith okay I'll say it again since all scripture is God breathe since all scripture is alive and living there's no room for lifeless Christians in the faith Which means you must live what you read. You must follow it. I can't be a follower of Jesus without following the word because Jesus is the word. And since he lived by it, the text says that we were able to behold his glory. So now when I look at the word and I look and continue to see what he tells us about himself. In John 1.14, it says, And the word was made flesh and dwelt among us. Now, this right here is the incarnation of the word. It means that Jesus became flesh. But what I need you to understand is although he was 100% man, he was still 100% God. So the math is weird, but remember, it's divine. So we won't capture it or grasp it all the way. He was not 50% human. And 50% God. He is one person with a fully divine nature and a fully human nature. So he was not just man, but he was fully God. Fully man, fully God. This is important. Now, why this is important? It's important because it means that since he was fully man... His human nature sometimes got weary, but since he was fully 100% God, it meant that he still had all power even though he was weary. It means that though he was born an infant and he had to uh, uh, depend on his mother for some things, he was still 100% God who would also bring his mother new life, eternal life. Okay, Though he had some limitations in his human body, he still had the fullness of deity in his body. And it's a concept that we cannot fully wrap our minds around, but it is true. How do we know it to be true? Is it science? Is it scholars? Is it opinion? Nope, it is the word. I go to the word of God to determine what is true and what is false so let's follow ourselves Colossians Colossians 2 and 9 I want to show you what the word says about the word Colossians 2 and 9 says for in him the whole fullness of deity dwells bodily that means he was a hundred percent God and a hundred percent man now this right here was a blessing to me because what it speaks to is the fact that Jesus has the ability to empathize with every single problem and pain that I dealt with 
This is why it's important that he's 100% God and 100% man. You cannot say, well, Jesus does not understand the life I live. You can't say that because he was 100% man and 100% God. You cannot say that Jesus does not understand what temptations I have to fight with and I have to deal with. This is the opposite of the truth because the fact is he had to deal with every single temptation known to man. He experienced hunger. He experienced thirst. He was tempted of the enemy, presented with things. He was even offered the world to bow down to it. Yet he is the living word who did not just talk it, but he lived it and defeated every single temptation. Let the word become flesh. And he said, let me show you how I live this thing out. Let me give you a real example. He came down in 40 and two generations, put on flesh, thought it not robbery to be a bond servant, even to the point of going to the cross, walked out every single word that was in the word. He became the word and showed you how to live the word. He went all the way back to the beginning and takes us all the way through revelations and showed us how to live a life that is perfect in him. So how do we know it to be true? Well, don't take my word for it. Take the word's word for it. Hebrews 4, 15. Hebrews 4, 15, he speaks of himself. He says, for we have not a high priest which cannot be touched with our feelings or infirmities. He's saying, we don't have a God, we don't have a Jesus who does not understand what we've gone through. You know, the worst thing that can happen is a person who does not know what you're going through, trying to give you advice about what you're going through. A person who has not gone through what you've gone through, trying to tell you how to get through what you've gone through. But guess what? Jesus has gone through what I've gone through, and he's told me how to get through what I'm going to because he's defeated it. He says, he was in all points tempted like as we are, yet without sin. So every single thing you've been tempted with, he was tempted with, yet he was without sin. And since he was at every single turn tempted and had all points was tempted, but was able to defeat it. This is why we follow Jesus and not man, because it is through his strength and through his power that you and I have victory. It is through his ability to defeat the enemy and to defeat Satan that you and I can testify that we too shall have victory. You don't win because you're so strong. You win because he already defeated the same thing that you're dealing with with so therefore if he's inside of you if he's walking with you if he's influencing you then you got the power to defeat every single temptation is there anybody who say to yourself you know what i ain't falling to that stuff no more i ain't backtracking no more i ain't messing up no more not because i'm so strong but because if jesus defeated it then i already got the victory he already beat it for me and if i'm living in him then i can defeat it as well listen you gotta believe it you gotta stop letting that thing pull you back and hold you down is there anybody who's tired of the cycle doing it over and over and over again but you say today it stops for me the buck stops here today it stops with me generational curses stop right here today it stops with me the chains are broken right here is there anybody who wants to be free listen i don't know what your thing is But the truth of the matter is, he already overcame your thing. And so since he already overcame your thing, 
you have the ability to also overcome that thing. Because the power that's inside of you is the paraclete. It's the helper that he sent after he left to give you power. So Jesus transitioned from John being a voice to now Jesus being the voice. And let me tell you what the voice said while he was here when the word became flesh. And we'll go home. Let's all stand. Let us all stand. Uh, Mark 115. Jesus is starting his ministry. And he starts his ministry. And the first thing he says, he starts his ministry. The first thing that Jesus gives us as a sermon, he says, the time is fulfilled and the kingdom of God is at hand. And the sermon he says is repent ye and believe the gospel. Okay. What do we know right now about Jesus? We know that he's the word. And as the word, he was in the beginning. And that the word also became flesh. And while the word was flesh, he defeated every temptation and did not sin. And then the word tells us to repent and believe the gospel. Jesus comes on the scene. He does not preach about the things you can get. Don't think about it. He does not make his first sermon about money cometh. And, and cars and houses and wealth and health. It's not what he preached about in the beginning. He preaches repent and believe. He does not tell you the things that you're going to get. He tells you what you need to let go of. <laughs> the gospel is not only about what you're going to receive. The gospel is also what you got to let go of. He starts off the ministry saying, repent. He says, turn from it. Whatever my it is, I got to turn from it. Whatever your it is, we got to turn from it. He says, denounce it. Stop doing it. Whatever your it is that caused you to stumble, causes you to fall, causes you to mess up, he says, leave it and follow me. The belief in him, the belief in his word, means I follow his word. And since he is the word, that means I follow the word when I follow him. But I cannot fully follow him without first acknowledging the things I got to let go of. There are some people who get upset when somebody preaches about repentance. There are people who get mad when people talk about repenting um, because they say uh, you're being judgmental. But it's Jesus, the word. Jesus, the authority, the one who was in the beginning, the one who was with God and is God who says it and not me. When repentance is applied to man and sin, what it simply means is that you've changed your mind about sinning. Many of us can testify that there was a period of our life where you enjoyed your sin. You bragged about your sin. You looked forward 
to your sin. Repentance means that I begin to change my thinking about my sin. And that I hate my sin because God hates my sin. Take man out of the equation. Take church out of the equation. It is Jesus who is saying, turn from your sin. It is Jesus, the ultimate judge, who says, you're not living right. But if you want to follow me, I'll accept you if you repent and believe. It is Jesus who sees our mess, but yet says, I want you. That's why we follow him. So as our altar workers come and our praise and worship team comes, this is what I want to say to the house. I don't want to speak my own words, but I'll speak the word of God. And if it hits you, let that be a sign of what you need to do for your own life. In the book of Ezekiel 14.6, God tells the house, he says, repent and turn yourselves from your idols and turn away your faces from all your abominations. That's it. Turn from your idols and turn your face from your abominations. It means no longer be excited or bask in the sin. And we don't have to call out sin. You know what yours are. I know what mine's are. But if you want to repent today, you want to say, I'm changing my mind about how I think. I'm changing my mind about how I operate. I want to repent and I want to believe. I want to turn from my wicked ways. I want to turn from my stumbling box. I want to walk the right way. If that is you today, I want you to make your way to the altar. We see you, brother. Make your way to the altar. Come on. We want to pray with you. Make your way to the altar. It's time for us to repent. It's time for us to believe. It's time for us to turn. It's time for us to do better. It's time for us to walk right. It's time for us to live in power. Don't just read the word, but live the word. It is time. If that's you today, I want you to make your way to the altar. Come on. He's calling us to repentance. He's calling us to turn.